Leave Your Legacy podcast is supported by Wise Financial. Wise Financial is a Northwestern Mutual private client group member. For over 20 years, Wise Financial has dedicated its efforts to designing comprehensive wealth management strategies for business owners and many accomplished athletes. Through their efforts, Wise Financial has been recognized as an industry-leading firm. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hello, and welcome to the Leave Your Legacy podcast. I'm your host, Kenya Murray, and today we have a very accomplished author who, as a family, we got to know her when she did a piece on Keegan. Welcome to the show, Marin Fader. How are you doing today? I'm good. It's nice to see you again. Thanks you, for having me back. Absolutely, absolutely. No, I think, um, you know, you you did a lot in capturing Keegan's personality and kind of his makeup going into it. So I think having you on the show, uh, one for our family is a, is a big thank you to what the article that you wrote. It was, it was awesome. But, you know, one of the things, even for me is like a little bit of your backstory because you know, where you grew up, your family, those kind of things. So could you tell our audience a little bit about where you grew up and what makes Marin Marin? Yeah, I mean, I grew it's it's so funny, right? The roles are reversed. Like we spent hours with you guys, like talking about you guys, and now it's on me. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, yes, I grew up in Los Angeles. And um, it's funny, I'm like one of the only like non, it feels like I'm one of the only non-transplants. Like I actually grew up here. Yeah. Um, and I was really young when I found basketball, and my parents um were so supportive of it, which is funny because I'm really short and I wanted to be in the WNBA. And they were like, yes, go for it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I just I, I didn't even think of writing, you know, I wanted to be a basketball player, like the drive, the determination. Like I spent so much of you know my childhood just playing and like being one of the guys, and my parents were all for it, which was amazing. Um so yeah, I just, it was weird. I, it's like the first day I played basketball, I just knew like I wanted my life to be around basketball. Wow. Um, and looking back, it seems so crazy, right? How do you know when you're that young? But I really did. I felt like I was supposed to do this. I was terrible. Let's be honest. I could not <laughs> make a shot, but I loved it so much. I was like, I have to do this right. in some capacity. Oh, that's awesome. And I think, you know, you talk about playing early and you uh, uniquely were the only girl on <laughs> yeah. a boys basketball team. So I wanted to ask, like, first of all, your parents were like, okay, let's go do this. And then second of <laughs> all, like, what did, what did your teammates and the other parents think about that? Because I know in today's world, it's probably a little bit more accepted, but yeah. yeah how was that being the only girl on a boys team? No, it was really, it was really hard. And the thing was, is like, I only did it because there wasn't girls teams mm. like it It was the school team that I went to and then also a club team, but for the school team. And it's funny because it was like a crash course. And what is Title Nine? They told me I could. They were trying to explain to me like Title Nine is this thing. And we also don't have this team. So that's why you can be on this boys team. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like 10 <laughs> years old. Yeah. But um, I was like, fine, I get to play basketball. And they were all like, what is she doing here? Like, I didn't have the cool shoes. Like, I had, like, Payless shoes. And they were just like, who is she? Like, she sucks. But I was, like, really tough. And one practice, this guy who ended up actually, he ended up playing D1 football. Um, he, like, tackled me on a play. And I had to go to the ER. And it was horrible. But this guy on my team I like gained his respect. He said, man, you really took that hit. Like right. the next day when I was back at school. <laughs> so I felt like I was finally accepted on the team. You know, right. I went from like, who is this girl trying to play to like, 
oh, she's tough. Um, so that like really <laughs> stuck with me. Honestly, it was like a badge of honor. I'm still friends with him to this day. So it's it's really funny. Oh, that's awesome. And so you okay, you said you weren't very good. You couldn't make a shot. Now, how long <laughs> how long did you play? Did you play in high school? You improved. Yeah, yeah, yeah you improved. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I played I played throughout all high school. I played AAU travel ball. It was like my whole life. I played my first year in college. I went to Lewis and Clark College in Oregon my first year and I played there. And then I stopped playing after that. But, um, oh, my gosh, like basketball, it colored my whole life. Like I really didn't even think of being a writer, Um, but I did have a lot of injuries in basketball. And, of course, being small was always like a huge uphill battle. Um, But I just kept trying and kept playing because I, I loved it so much, you know, like nothing in my life ever felt as good. Wow. That's awesome. Um, I, my basketball career did not start that way. Um, so, I mean, kudos to you for, 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 for doing that, sticking with it, but it leads into our, our, the next question is, okay, so you, you said basketball is what you wanted to do. You didn't see yourself as a writer. So what was it that kind of made that shift for you to go into writing? Obviously you're, you're very accomplished and very good at it, but there's you you had a long road and as a as a female kind of working through this whole sports um uh sports area as far as writing goes it's got to be tough too but but yeah what what got you to thinking about becoming a writer Yeah it was tough I mean I think it was first of all a lot of injuries um like my basketball career wasn't going where I wanted it to go you know you work 10 years for this thing and then it just doesn't happen mm. and after you know my first year playing in college I was just like you know, you reach that sobering moment where you're just like, I I could keep trying, I could keep transferring, I could try to somehow play somewhere and then go overseas. And it just, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. It was, it's not happening. Like I pushed it as far as it could go. Yeah. And at the same time in college, I was really falling in love with reading and writing. Um, I took this woman writers class at my first college and it just, it so inspired me. And it's funny because the first day the teacher was like, women aren't supposed to hold the pen. And it really took me back to those days in elementary school of like, oh, you're not supposed to be on the team because like you're the only girl. Right. It, it's really had that challenge to me, like, oh, like women aren't supposed to do this. And I I loved that. And so the more I got into it, the more I realized, like, I actually really love writing. And I had written this whole time in my diary. That was one of my favorite hobbies. I just never thought of it as a career, you know, middle school, high school, like writing was my best subject. But again, like who thinks they're going to grow up and become a writer? Well, who thinks they're going to grow up and become a basketball player? That's another thing, but like two improbable dreams. So, um, so then when basketball was over, I had a really, really tough time with it because it felt like an identity crisis. It was like, well, who am I if, if not a basketball player? And I was like, well, what if I combine writing and basketball and I become a sports writer? And I started covering our men's basketball team at the school that I transferred to out here, Occidental College. And I just fell in love with it. I was like, wow, I get to like be in the game, like a little removed, but I get to be on the court. And then my first job at the Orange County Register, they assigned me all these sports I knew nothing about, like water polo and like (laughs) lacrosse. And I was like, yes, I do know water polo. I do know lacrosse. Didn't know a thing. And you you go and then you realize, oh, it's about the person. It's not about the sport. And that's when I was like, I want to become a sports writer and I want to write really thoughtful pieces about athletes. It doesn't it doesn't have to be basketball, but that's what originally got me into it. No, it's awesome. And I think 
you know, you talked about even in that class where say women aren't supposed to hold the pen. And was that class being taught by a woman that said that to you? Like, those are the kind of things that one can discourage someone from doing that because it's like, okay, you're teaching this class and you're telling me I'm not supposed to do this, but obviously your stick-to-itiveness and everything and your passion was something that continued to push you. But what are, what are some of the roadblocks that you, um, that happened upon you? Because I know like your writing is some, like you said, it's about the person. You're very thoughtful. You bring out people's inner beauty in a lot of what you do. And so sometimes that's not as sexy as you know, right. what we call clickbait, right? Or whatever. But right. But yeah, just tell us a little bit about some of the hurdles you run into and then why you take such a personal angle when you talk about, uh, when you write about the the athletes and people that you write about. I'm glad you asked this because I think people have a vision of long form and my career that it feels like the red carpet has just, oh, you just get to write these long stories in your bathtub at your leisure. <laughs> like it was really hard. <laughs> I, you know, it's not the thing that people want, right? They wanted this. I was right at the cusp. So I graduated college in 2013 and it was like newspapers were sort of like almost dead, but not quite dead. And it was all about like click bait slideshows and um the orange county registrar was the only woman i made the least amount of money i was the lowest of the totem pole like i was covering little league sports like it took a really long time just to cover junior college men's basketball Mm -hmm. and um i just was not moving up and it didn't matter how you know well my stories were received like i was just like stuck um and it was really hard and at the same time i was freelancing for ESPN and Bleacher Report. And I was sort of getting my name out there and I was good enough to freelance, but neither of them were hiring me. So I felt like, you know, I'm close to my dream and extremely far. Like clearly I'm capable of writing for national outlets, but I can't get the job. So what's wrong with me? So it felt that was really hard. And then I got laid off at the Orange County Register after four years. And so there it was like such a moment of, well, what am I going to do? Like, how am I even going to pursue this career? And so for a couple of months, I was just full-time freelancing for mm. Bleacher Report and ESPN. And, you know, the break finally came when they sent me to Lithuania to cover LaMelo Ball, mm. when LeVar pulled him out of high school and everyone was like, what is he doing in Lithuania? And so I went there for a month and that was like my break. And I got hired after that. But I think to your other question of like, why the human stories? Because I know what it is to be an athlete and I know how hard it is. And I know the struggle and how hard you have to work just to even get like a sliver of a chance to quote, make it. Mm. And LaMelo in Lithuania, like it wasn't this glamorous thing that people thought it was really hard for both of us. We're both from California. We both don't know seasons and weather it was freezing (laughs) and in the middle of nowhere. And so it's like, But that story taught you so much about how what it's like to be in his shoes and how hard it is. And so I just think when you write these stories that have a human dimension, there's something about it that can bring somebody that knows nothing about the sport to care about the person. You can just reach so many more people. And I just think I've seen I felt it myself the way people dehumanize athletes Mm -hmm. and they're just, oh, you're injured. Okay, you don't matter anymore. You don't exist. And so I always knew that, like, if I was able to make it as a sports writer, like, I wouldn't write stories like that. Like, I would actually try to get to know them and their journey. If you notice, all my pieces are journey. Yeah. How did you get from A to B? So that's that's just what interests me. That's awesome. So, I mean, 
rolls right into what I was going to ask you next about what's the most exotic or maybe <laughs> remote place that you've ever done an interview, like where you've been. So, I mean, Lithuania, I don't know, is that is that the craziest place you've been to to do a story? It was crazy. It definitely was. And it like if you remember, those games were live streamed on Facebook. And so people were seeing it and thinking it was this glamorous thing, but it was just in the middle of nowhere. Like I had never, I mean, there wasn't much food. Like it was really, really, really isolated. But it's funny because like the word exotic reminded me the next year I followed him to Wollongong, uh, Australia. Mm-hmm. That was gorgeous. It was like a complete 180 from yeah. <laughs> it was this beautiful and it was like by the ocean i just couldn't believe like not only was he there but i was there you yeah. know and it it's just really cool it didn't and i think those stories changed my career in the sense of like i knew i had to write globally right like it it's not just enough to cover athletes here sport is changing it's been changing for decades there's so much more life outside of the U.S. And it just, I don't know, it, it really changed the way I think about like what stories I want to tell. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's awesome. And I mean, your first book you're, that you wrote on Giannis, I know my wife is, he's the second, he is her second favorite player in the NBA now, soon to be third. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> soon to be third best player or favorite player. Um but I mean, your book on Giannis, uh, it was a, the, what Giannis, the improbable rise of an NBA, uh, NBA MVP, um, New York bestseller. Like, how did that come about um, as far as getting the opportunity? Obviously, you said you have to write globally and him coming from Greece and being an MVP, two-time MVP right. is phenomenal. But how did that kind of, I wouldn't say how did it land in your lap, but how did you get the opportunity to, to do the yeah. book? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was so organic in the sense of like, I was at Bleacher Report at the time and I saw, and this was before Giannis won MVPs. Like he was obviously a star, but he wasn't yet like a quote superstar, Mm -hmm. like Giannis, like everyone in Milwaukee, of course, was obsessed with him, but he didn't quite get that national level of recognition yet. And, um, but obviously I knew he was amazing. And I found that his, one of my editors was like, you know, his youngest brother, there's a fourth one and he's like 15 and at the time, and he's at this school in Milwaukee, like maybe you should do a story on him. And I was like, wow, I didn't know. I didn't even know there was a fourth one Mm -hmm. because now of course they're like, so in the media, there's like, you see one, you see all of them. But back then they weren't, it wasn't this public display, you know? And so I was like, I wonder how hard it is to be the fourth. That right. must be really hard, right? Like we talk so much about sibling dynamics with you and the kids, but like four, I mean, that's a different level of dynamic and pressure. And so I just went and I went to his house and then Giannis was there. And I was just like, <laughs> what? You know, like I didn't know he was going to be there. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just spent the day like with the family reporting in. I you know, I came to do one story and it ended up being a family story. And when that story came out, I think it revealed as much about Giannis as it did about Alex, the youngest brother. Mm -hmm. And then I realized like, there's such an information gap here with this extraordinary person and player. And that like, at the time, all people really knew he sold trinkets on the street. Mm -hmm. And then he became such a, you know, amazing player in the NBA. It was like a fairy tale that had no narrative. Right. Like it was like one sentence. And I was like, 
I wonder all the stuff that happened in Greece that made him into who he is. And so it sort of came out of that feature. Yeah. But again, it's, it's kind of like what we're talking about. It's like, well, this story is so much bigger than basketball. It's a human story. And I really wanted to, you know, tell that story. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about that. Like, what was, because obviously Michelle has read the book and she's always quoting different passages out of oh, it to me and stuff like that. She she loves it, loves it. Um, but was there something that totally blew you away from that journey? I mean, there's, if you read the book and then they even made the Disney movie, which was, I mean, there's so much that's not in the movie. Um, right. But was there something that just completely blew you away? Like maybe something like, like, I don't know how you made it through this to get here, but something that just your jaw dropped when, when you were doing the story and learning more about the family. I mean, I think it was getting his papers. So like in Greece, you know, you don't get birthright citizenship if you are the child of immigrants. So even though he was born there, he's not as considered a citizen. Really? Um, so, yeah. And so the reason why he didn't play on uh, the top two Greek clubs, which do have like a really storied history with amazing players, is because he was considered an immigrant. Mm. And so um, when he had an opportunity, you know, I reported he had an opportunity to potentially go play professionally in Spain. That's when the Greek government was like, oh, my God, like we, you know, we need to keep him here somehow. And they they dragged their feet on getting him papers for a very long time, only until it was clear, like he might get drafted in the NBA or go to Spain and reporting out that process and how reluctant they were to give him his papers was just astounding. And if you notice in the book, I tell the stories of other really talented black Greek um, players of children of immigrants, they never got their papers. And so they never got to ascend the way Giannis did. And it was really important to get to know them and include their stories to show like, yes, Giannis is extraordinary in every way. He's talented. He's deserving. He's amazing. Could not happen to a better human being, but there were others that were really good too. Maybe not blessed with his size and athleticism, never got the chance to ascend because of the politics of this country. So I think just like exploring the politics and the the racism in Greece was so critical to the book. And I felt like it just wasn't being talked about in this fairy tale narrative. Right. I mean, most people probably think like he's the first one, but right. he wasn't, right. you know, his, the, the struggles and the path that these others tried to go along. I mean, honestly, in, in some way, shape or form kind of paved his way to be able to do it. And obviously, it's it's become this humongous thing, and he's this incredible player, um, arguably the best player in the world. So um, what do you think makes Giannis a superstar in a league of superstars? I mean, it has to do with the mental, because although there's very few people that can physically do what he does, right? Like, we have to acknowledge the the gift, the talent He's timeless. Yeah. I, I he's just he's a timeless player. I don't care what anybody says, like he would do well anywhere. Right. Anywhere. Um, it's the it's the scarcity mindset, the I'm afraid to lose everything. Mm -hmm. I don't see that in other superstars. Like he had a quote recently about like, I'm desperate. I'm afraid to lose it all. And I think like in the book, um, him uh you know, I reported like him and his brothers used to have this thing they'd say to to each other was like, what if we woke up and everything we got is gone? Mm. 
Mm. It was this dream and they would laugh. It was a joke, but it wasn't really a joke. It was a very real sense of like, what if we woke up and every good thing in our lives was gone? I think when you carry that and you play with that, it's a different type of hunger. It's a different type of relentlessness. It's a different type of mental focus and discipline. And I just don't see other superstars that have that like he does. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's a mentality. I was just talking to my production team. Like it's a mentality that like a lot of, a lot of probably American born athletes don't have. And it's, there's a humbleness to it, but there's also, you can see that he's always striving to be better. And he, he mentions that a lot. Like I got to keep working. Um, which brings me to what you did with Keegan, right? Um, you spent a, you spent a lot of time with Keegan doing the story. Um, his was, you know, a little bit different path than most top 10 lottery picks take. Um, and I know my kid, but what was something about him that, I don't know, that you that you talked to him about or he said to you that you're like, he, he, he's got a chance to be really special? Because I didn't know he was a first round pick until probably January of last right. year, right? right? Like he's trying to, like, okay, but... But I know you you got to know him a little bit. What was something about him that you're like, okay, I think this kid had a chance to to make it? I was just in awe of the maturity. When he said, um, he said like praise, I think he said like praise is worse than criticism or something like that in the piece. Mm-hmm. And I I just had to pause for a second when he said that to me because like I can't tell you how many, because I profile a lot of younger basketball players too, people that are very much praised in ways that Keegan was not. Mm -hmm. And they, there is a level of like, I don't want to say obsession with oneself, but narcissism. Mm -hmm. And Keegan had the opposite. And he was so convinced that like, I don't, not only do I not need praise, but it's a bad thing Mm -hmm. and I don't want it. And because I know who I am. And when Keegan walks in a room, like he, he had this, quiet confidence that I so loved. And that was different. And that's what actually drew me to him and wanted to do the profile. And so when I saw it in person, I was really moved by that, you know, because I think praise does hurt a lot of people because then when they don't perform well and they're criticized, they have no idea. It's destabilizing because they're so used to being praised. I really didn't realize how tough Keegan's journey was to get there. I knew he was unheralded. Right. But when we talked about and got through it, I was like, wow, you know, this was not easy. The move, all the stuff, stuff with you and Michelle, like there was just so much going on that I, I didn't realize. The other thing was I was so endeared to him because (laughs) he gave me Giannis vibes in the sense of like, he was like, yeah, I've never had sushi or you know, I, I avocado and <laughs> oh, whatever. I'll just go get groceries with my first paycheck. And, yeah. you know, I don't know me and Crystal split a car. I, it was just so Giannis, like pre like first contract, which yeah. w- was just like hysterical to me because I'm looking at Keegan. I'm like, you have no idea how, how talented you are, yeah. you know, because he's just this humble, you know? And, and so, yeah, I was just really impressed by that. Yeah, no, he, and he's the same. It was, I was just talking to the guys too. Uh, he was interviewed after he broke the record 
after the in the Portland game, and uh, Mark Jones asked him like, "What's your playoff outfit going to be?" And Keegan's like, <laughs> "The same thing it always is: yeah. sweat, he goes yeah. sweatshirt and sweatpants." And we all got these lug or UGG uh, slippers for Christmas. All the men in the Murray house got yeah. these UGG slippers, and that's what he wears. He wears these UGG slippers, and it, it, it's people think that they think it's crazy, but that's just who he is because we never put a price on things. Like we never, like I was telling guys, like if we had extra money, we, we put it in experiences like going on vacations and things like that right. and being with each other. And, you know, I think that's the one thing that he's, he's really, you know, money, I think exacerbates who you are. Mm -hmm. And the thing with Keegan is these experiences that we're talking about doing, whether it's with he and Carly or with the family, like he's all on board with it because he knows like, that's the things that matter. And so um, people say like, don't, he won't, I, I, you know, money will change. I'm like, mm, you don't know my kid. Like, it's just, right. it's refreshing to see him be that way. But I mean, it's even more, I'm even more in awe as his dad, because there's times we don't know if they're listening to us or they're paying right. attention. And he just, uh, he exudes everything that we've always talked about and family's everything to him. And And like you said, like with Giannis, I think that's, where I see a lot of similarities is like he's taking that path and yeah, it's just, it's just fun to see. So I'm proud as a dad, but um, yeah, Michelle was like, she she said that you, he gave you Giannis five. So that's pretty cool. That's really well, cool. do you remember the draft anecdote where priority was like, so Keegan, what do you want to do with your suit for the draft? And he's just like, Oh, well, and he goes back to like shooting. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was so him. And it's so Giannis vibes, you know, like yeah. it's, authentic i guess what i'm trying to say is like <laughs> i felt it was really authentic and i i love that because there's nothing worse than going to an interview with somebody who thinks that they are they have an inflated sense of who they are right you get to the real beauty of someone's journey when they actually just view themselves like another human being down the street and i think keegan has that yeah it's it's funny so you know another story is um all-star weekend um he did the Rising Stars game, which if he could have come home, he probably would have came home, but he did the game. And then they wanted, <laughs> they wanted him to stay for Saturday. And he's like, no, I got to go watch my sister play in the playoffs. So they left Salt Lake City Saturday morning, flew into Des Moines. He came and watched, you know, I coached McKenna. So he came and watched the game. And then we went the next day to watch Chris. So he told him, like, I, I need to get home and see my brother and my sister play. I haven't seen him play all year. And so... And that was him. And so the thing with priority, as you as you say that, is they just say Keegan don't change, and they let the NBA know. Yeah. Like, oh, there's things like, hey, like he will not do this because that's not him. And uh, as a dad, I'm just so proud of him that he is, as a man, he's able to 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 stand on that and not be wavered. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy, but I think that's the quality that's going to make him. Mm -hmm a good player or maybe even a great player for a long time in the league. So um, I definitely appreciate you saying that about him. Yeah. So, absolutely. So um, obviously, I mean, the Giannis book was great. I mean, is there any, and you've done a ton of articles. Is there anything, do you have any huge projects on the horizon that you're working on right now? Yes. Um, I'm working on my second book. It's a biography of Hakeem Olajuwon okay. and, um, you know, it's funny because we've covered so many bases in this conversation of like why I love the human story and basketball. And Hakeem is like the embodiment of that global okay. human. 
beloved human, very much Giannis like, I mean, he gave Giannis the blueprint. So mm-hmm. it's the other way around. Um, I'm just super excited because Hakeem doesn't get the credit for being the pioneer that he is in so many regards. You look at the league now and how, how many players from Africa are dominating. And, you know, we really only talk about international superstars like Dirk, but it was, it was Hakeem that set the example. And there's so many aspects to his story, rededication to Islam. Um, I just think he's, he's just a, a very special um, person. So I'm, I'm really enjoying that. No, I, I loved him as a player. And that was the one thing is like he won with grace. And yeah. as great a player as he was, it was never about him. It was always right. about the team. And if you think about it, the way bigs or post players play now, he was doing that back then. I mean, he could, oh, so great passer, defender. Like he was he was such a good player. So I'm, I definitely am interested in, in, in reading that one. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, I, I did send you some questions. And one of the things I think the reason why I, I named this podcast, the Leave Your Legacy podcast, is because I truly feel that it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from, you know, how old you are, you're leaving a legacy for someone. You're all, you know, you're you're setting an example for for your peers or for your siblings or things like that. And I wanted to know what does legacy or leaving a legacy mean to you? I mean, for me, I think about a lot of the young women that are coming up in this field that want to be journalists and leaving a legacy, like all I want is for it to be slightly easier for them, or at least if not easier, just have the tools to do this awesome career because it is so enjoyable. And so many women, you know, they go into TV, which there's nothing wrong with that, but there are just so few women journalists in NBA media and sports media. And so like, if I could do anything to, with my legacy to help them, like, that's what I care about. There's so many things, so many conversations we have, and they just tell me these stories of things they've gone through. And it just, it breaks my heart because I'm like, how is this still happening? You know, things, things in media and it's hard being a woman journalist. And so um, for me, like I actually am inspired by them. So when I see them hustling and getting a story like that, that excites me. So I think it's always about like, like if you're, I forgot, it might've been Toni Morrison, who's one of my favorite um, writers. Like if your dream is just you, it's not, um, it's not big enough. And so um, I don't want to miscredit. It might have been somebody else, but I think Tony Morrison said something along those lines. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I hope. It's funny. I'm going to the Association of Women's Sports Media Conference next week in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it's always so fun because you're like, wait, there's that many of us that right. we could have a conference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it just it reminds you of your purpose. And it reminds you that like it's not just about doing books or writing stories. It's like, what are you doing to help? the next girl. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I love that. And, you know, you talk about the TV thing. I think um, that's so surface level. I'm, I'm just, I'm just being honest. Like I think there are very good sideline reporters and studio reporters and things like that. But I, like I said before, like I really feel like the way you write really gets to the depth of the athletes that, you know, you're speaking about 
you don't get that when it comes to the TV thing. Everything's about viewers and that kind of thing. So, I mean, I praise you for, you know, the great writer you are and and everything that you got coming up because, you know, like you said, you busted your tail and, and it's deserving <laughs> and we really, really, we really, really like you. The Murray's really, really like oh, you. So. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So rapid fire questions. I always ask my guests. I got a few that, that okay. we're going to throw out at you. So if you had one place to go for a relaxing vacation, where would it be and why? I need to go to Italy because I want all the pizza in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. So you know who's whose senior trip is going to be to Italy, McKenna's. Are you kidding? No, oh, not wow. even, I'm not even joking. Yeah, I'm so jealous. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I said, remember, uh, Keegan's rich. We ain't rich. <laughs> <laughs> so you go think about that there. Uh, oh, yeah. No, yeah, but she really wants to do that. So we're doing that. And and I've been to Italy, and I you're right. The the pizza and everything is is phenomenal right. there. All right. So here's one. If you could write a story or a book on anyone in history, regardless of what, you know, doesn't have to be an athlete, who would it be and why? I mean, this sounds kind of, I don't know how it sounds, but I really, really would have loved to write a Kobe book because I think that there's such an information gap between player and then this like girls basketball, like, lover and coach. Right. Um, we have no idea how he makes that leap and changes his life. Uh, that information is missing. Mm. Like I would love to do that. And just growing up in LA, like what Kobe meant to our community and, and people here. I mean, the people closest in my life are just remain obsessed with him. Mm -hmm. It's just something that like, when you're from here, you just look at it a different way. And I, I would have loved to do that. Yeah, no, I think, you know, you talk about seeing someone go through different chapters in their life. Like he was one. And I remember Chris and Keegan texting me when, you know, they found out like it was, it was such a blow because I mean, even there were so many people that just thought that it couldn't happen. Right. Because yeah, he's yeah. such a legend and it's, Gosh, it seems like forever ago that it happened, but I think that would, yeah, that would be a pretty, pretty interesting uh, book as far as that, like you said, that bridge to becoming a girl dad and and that, because he, he completely shifted. I mean, it was all about women's basketball and girls basketball. And I mean, you, you don't really see that from someone in the NBA. So yeah, that was, that would, that would, yeah, that would be, be really good. Really good. Um, okay. Last one. What is your go-to feel-good movie? Like, you know, if you're just having a down day, a movie that makes you feel good or a song that makes you feel good. Okay, it's definitely Janelle Monae's I Like That because oh. when it came out, I was in a very specific place in my life. Okay. I was in Florida doing a story on um, Roberto Aguayo and, like, it, it was a story that I had tried to crack for, like, five years because, okay. obviously, as, as people know, like, he was supposed to be, like, this amazing kicker and then was called all, you know, the bust and all these things. And anyway, I was just, I did this interview. I finally got it. And it was the most life-changing interview. I felt so moved by it. And then this song comes on and I'm just like driving in Florida and it's blasting Janelle Monae. And I was like, what is life? Like, this is crazy <laughs> that, that like somebody has paid me to do this. Yeah. Um, 
I love that song so much. You can't like not listen to it and yeah. feel amazing. Like I love. It. No, no, I feel you on that one. I do. I do like me some Janelle Monae as well. All right. Well, Miran, I want to thank you today. And I actually picked this quote because of you. Honestly, I, I like I talked about how you write about people and you bring out this inner beauty. So I have a quote from John Donahue. It says, beauty is the illumination of your soul. And when I was thinking about this and you and your writing, like that just kind of spoke to me. And I was like, that would be the perfect quote to end our podcast today. So um, I want to thank you for taking the time out and coming on the podcast. You're amazing. It's been amazing. Can't wait to read your new work. But um, I just, yeah, I just want to say thank you. Everything you've done for our family, you may not think it's a lot, but I mean, the article you wrote, I think gave so many people an insight to who Keegan is. And maybe you want to do one about Chris too, but you know, I'll, uh, I'll just throw that one out there. I've been, I've been watching. Don't worry. I've been watching. <laughs> just throw a little plug in there. Throw a little plug. Well, a little plug. Oh, yeah. He needs no plug. He killed it. Um, but I, I just want to thank you. Thank you for trusting me with your family story. Absolutely. So uh, some great news. Like we said before, our podcast is now on the iHeartRadio platform Spreaker. Um, we're also we have our own YouTube channel, the Talk About Network channel on YouTube. Remember to like, subscribe so you get the alerts when it's going to drop. You can also find our podcast on Apple Music or Spotify or wherever you get your music. So with that being said, thank you to Marin Fader for coming on today. And until next time, I'm Kenya Murray. This podcast is sponsored by Storyline Multimedia. Storyline is an Iowa City-based media company that specializes in creating high-quality video, photo, and audio productions for local businesses. Not only that, but they also produce a number of podcasts, including this one. So if you're interested in sharing the story of your business with the world, contact them today by visiting StorylineMultimedia.com. And remember, your story matters.